Well, we are uh, studying Advent. We've, we've stopped our regular series in the book of Ephesians, and we have given ourselves as a church to the observation of Advent, to waiting on the Lord. And Advent is a season of anticipation, a season of waiting, a season of listening. And today is the second week. This Sunday is the second week of Advent. And today we are looking at, the title of our sermon is, Jesus is our peace. Now, Advent is simply put, is just a, a preparation for Christmas. We prepare to celebrate Christ's arrival. We acknowledge the already and not yet nature of the kingdom of God. Meaning, we acknowledge that Christ has come and is with us. But we, at the same time, we wait with anticipation for his return because we know that Jesus is coming again. And in our remembering the anticipation of Christ's first coming, we acknowledge and nurture our anticipation for Christ's second coming. We wait, but we, we don't wait in idleness. It's not an idle waiting. We actively wait. We wait with hope. We wait with eagerness. And we wait eagerly. Because we live in a world where there is still much darkness. We see pride and arrogance and greed and war and racism and violence. Uh, There's gloom, there's depression, anxiety that seems to ever be increasing. Still needs to be overcome. And so Advent is a season for us to remember that in a world that lacks peace, we are a people who wait on the arrival of the Prince of Peace. Our passage today is Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read the first seven verses of Isaiah 9, and I will be reading and preaching from the New American Standard Bible today. Isaiah 9, verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious by way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness, they will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden, and the staff on their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, and every cloak that's rolled in blood, it will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to his increase or to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Church, this is the word of God. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for these incredible truths, these incredible promises. Help us, God, discover our place today. Help us, Lord, to get swept up into this prophetic reality where 
Heaven has come to earth in the form of the Prince of Peace that God has sent for us, a child, the Savior of the world. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us and instruct us and build us up in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in the throes of the Christmas season. We have been since uh, the end of July, I think. And as a culture, we're all preparing for Christmas, right? Costco was prepared for Christmas uh, the 1st of September. You can't escape the message of preparedness as advertisers bombard us, right? Be prepared. Get prepared. We spend more money this time of year. Uh, It might be the only time that many of us go to the mall. Unless your Apple product breaks, then that'll get me to the mall. But as Christians, preparing for Christmas is significant. Christmas means something different to us as Christians. And so we ought to prepare for Christmas differently than the way our culture prepares. Now, our culture prepares for Christmas by buying things, buying gifts, and planning events, all as a way for people to bless one another and be happy. Right? They're looking for happiness, and that's how they do it. As Christians, we we ought to prepare differently. And this is where Advent comes in. We ought to prepare by receiving God's gift, by enjoying and recognizing and thinking about and functioning from a place of having received this gift. Because it's that gift that brings people together with God. It's that gift that brings people together with one another. And it's that gift that brings true joy and true peace. The only loving and true Christmas gift is given by God not by other people. And so as we prepare, we need to slow down because our culture is going 100 miles an hour right now. As Christians, it's good for us to slow down and remember and remind ourselves of what is most true. Matthew's gospel, in talking about this passage in Isaiah 9, Matthew says that it is the dawn of a new day. I I love that vocabulary because living in the midst of our culture, I'd sure love to see the dawn of a new day, wouldn't you? I think we all long for a new day. Some of us maybe are longing for a do-over of every day, but we, we wait for that. We long for a new day. It's been the longing of God's people since creation. From cover to cover, Scripture reveals the collective longing of God's people for God to show up in the midst of what they face, to show up with this thing that lies ahead. God, be present. Be here. The Bible reveals that God's people are people who wait on God. We're waiting for a better day. And we know that there is coming a day where there will be no more oppression or conflict, when all of creation will be brought back to its intended place of peace. There is coming a day when our King will inaugurate His kingdom on earth and a kingdom that is free of oppression. It will be a kingdom of peace. And so today we wait and we remember what God has done And we remember what God has promised to do, what he is at work doing today. Now, God gives good promises. God also makes good on his promises. And his promises aren't just good, they're they're, they're amazing. But see, the thing is, even though God's promises are good and amazing, we tend to lose sight of his promises in the waiting as we wait upon the Lord. God's promises are necessary for us. God's promises are our only source of hope in this life. And so, for us, it's, it's good at Advent. It's a good season for us to be reminded of and to remember 
God's promises as we wait upon the Lord. And it's an important season because it reminds us to wait well. Waiting well means that we wait with hope and we wait with peace because we're in Christ who is, as Isaiah declares, the Prince of Peace. And because we don't often wait well, we're always waiting on the Lord. We know that. We say that. We acknowledge that. We're always hoping for His coming in, in all things, big and small. We say that as Christians. That's common vocabulary in the church. But here's the deal, and I know this from my life to be true. Often we get distracted, and we'll take our eyes off of God. We'll take our heart off of, off of God and His promises. And we start believing some of the things that our culture believes. And we start searching for another peace. We start searching for peace the way our culture searches for peace. And we start trusting things, other things, other than God in life, rather than trusting in the Lord. And so when we don't wait well, what happens is we move from a place of peace to a place of fear. Or we move from a place of peace into a place of despair or anxiety or, de- or depression. Or, or we become cynical. Advent is about waking up to your hope. Advent is about rediscovering true peace in our life. Advent is about waking up to hope, rediscovering peace, because our hope and our peace is rediscovered as we refocus our lives on waiting on the Lord. Our hope and our peace is restored as we reposture our lives and rediscipline ourselves around God and around God's promises. Now, our culture celebrates positive emotions at Christmas time, and they sound uh, really good and really right and even biblical, a lot of them. Like, our culture celebrates the idea of joy and togetherness and happiness. And these emotions are represented by the patron saint of Christmas, the jolly gift-giving Santa, right? Santa's everywhere this time of the year. He's at the mall, but he's also on cards. He's on cans of Coke. He's on wrapping paper. There's another uh, presence that you might get a glimpse of, although probably not. Used to be when I was a child, you would see another Christmas character, baby Jesus in a manger, but you probably won't see much of baby Jesus anymore. So our culture doesn't value the coming of Jesus, but celebrates the coming of this fictional gift-giving Santa. Now, why, why is that? Why does it seem to be moving? Our culture seems to be moving in its celebration of Christmas. I believe it's because our culture treats Christmas like a day at the spa. The Christmas season is a season of therapeutic self-care. People dress comfortably. People get nostalgic. We hope and we wish for new stuff, right? This Christmas is the time of year, the only time of year, when adults will write out what they want, hand it to other adults, and actually expect someone else to get them that thing. It's like, (laughs) of course they love Christmas. We eat foods that we don't normally eat. We drink stuff like eggnog, and we put candy on our coffee and stuff. Right? And we have this tingly feeling as we stare at the tree that we've erected in our room, and and, and we sing together, and we watch Elf over and over. And we do. I do. I mean, it's fun. But see, for a moment, our culture believes in Santa and forgets all of the problems of the world. For a moment, it's like we cover our ears and we, we, we get so close to the Christmas tree that we can't see what's really going on out there in the world, and we have a couple of weeks of happiness. Now, Frank Sinatra famously sang these words. I know you've heard them because I've heard them many times already this year. 
He says, when it's Christmas time, I do believe in Santa Claus. Why do I believe? I guess that I believe because I believe. I do believe that dreams come true. And if you wish for a dream by the wishing well, and you don't tell your wish or you'll break the spell, it might sound naive, but that's what I believe. And, I mean, yeah, Frank, that does sound naive, right? It's, it's actually ridiculous. But see, that's our culture's perspective, and that's our culture's objective even as, we, as it prepares for Christmas. It's that naive, like, close our eyes, close our ears, stare real close at the Christmas tree, and we'll have a couple of weeks where things seem happy and ordered in the world. See, baby Jesus just doesn't provide the same, like, quick fix of emotional sentiment that Santa Claus does. The Bible reveals that the story of Jesus is more than just a sentimental story. The story of Jesus doesn't provide that temporary feeling of happiness. It doesn't provide the the self-help or the simple help or the quick help that Santa and gift-giving seems to offer at Christmas time. The story of Jesus is a story of real hope. It's a story of real peace. Because the story of Jesus is a story of real change and real transformation. There's tremendous value for us as Christians to take our hearts and to take our affections off of cultural Christmas and refocus and remember the reality of God's salvation and the hope that we have in this life for Jesus' return. We need true hope more than ever. We need true peace more than ever. Things seem as dark as they have ever been in the world today. Our world needs the dawning of the new day that Matthew talks about. And, and here's the challenge, because sometimes in my life, I'm tricked into cultural Christmas because I, I fall into thinking that I need to behave well or God won't show up. And it's just easier to believe in Santa Claus. Or sometimes I forget the gospel and I start to feel like I don't deserve true hope or I don't deserve true peace because I'm not a really good Christian. Or sometimes I forget about God's grace or I'll forget about God's sovereignty over all things, and I start to wrongly think that God won't work, or God won't move, or God won't show up in my life unless things are just right, unless I've gotten my stuff together enough to where at least, at least Billy's life is kind of progressively improving, then maybe God will show up. Like I need to create the ideal situation for God to come in. Like he doesn't want to get his robe dirty by entering my life. Or sometimes I might falsely start thinking that I can only hear from God when there's no chaos in my life. My life is way too chaotic. God, God can't hear me. I can't hear God. Guys, this is, this is why Advent is so important. Listen to this. The Advent story is a story about Jesus coming in less than ideal conditions. Jesus arrived on the scene as a vulnerable baby. He was born to dirt poor, very young parents. Born into a world of utter chaos. First century Israel, guys. Listen, this is an oppressive world of genocide, of slavery, of racism, of economic classism. Jesus is born as a vulnerable newborn baby into a world of disease where the average lifespan was like 40 to 45 years old. No knowledge of bacteria or viruses or simple washing of hands. And Jesus is born in that, into a dark, cold, filthy animal stable. This is the chaotic world into which the light of the world is born. The Prince of Peace was born into the chaos of first century Israel. As we prepare for Christmas, guys, it is good for us to remember 
that it is in the chaos of life. It is in the storm of life. It is in the midst of our brokenness. It's in the midst of a broken and dark culture even. It is into the hard places that Jesus enters into. Jesus enters into the scene at a chaotic hour. That's how he works. That is who he is. He goes to where deliverance is needed. And so if we're not looking for Jesus in the midst of our chaos, we might miss him. If we're not looking for Jesus in the midst of our brokenness, we might miss him. And when we miss him, we miss out on true hope. We miss out on true peace. And it's so easy. I I know it is in my life. It's so easy for me to let chaos take my attention from remembering and waiting on the promises of God. I'm way too easily distracted by chaos in my life. Stress, fear, anxiety, depression, or just plain old busyness. It can all turn us from our true hope. And when we don't wait on the Lord in the midst of chaos, we start to create our own version of peace. And we start to live for and seek out our own version of peace. We turn to other people. We turn to relationships, thinking, well, if I just had a relationship, I would have peace in my life. How many of you guys have found that to be true, right? Been married more than like three months. Marriage is not going to fix the chaos in your life. We turn to other things. We turn to possessions. Well, if I just had a, a nicer car, I would feel better about myself. If I had a bigger house, I might get more respect. That, that might order the chaos in my life. Or we turn to substances. If I just numb myself, then I sleep better. I do it because I sleep better, right? And it's just we remove ourselves from the reality of the situation in an attempt to order the chaos in our life. We turn to lesser things. Every government throughout history has had its own version of peace and has promised its own version of peace. People say that we want peace. But peace means so many different things to so many people. And it seems elusive because nobody really knows what it means. We don't have a collective definition that we can work toward. And our confusion over the meaning of true peace, it makes true peace seem impossible to attain. No matter how hard we try, peace just always seems out of reach. And people promise and protest for peace, but are never able to deliver on it. And why is that? Well, the reason why people can never deliver on peace is because only Jesus, who is peace, can bring true peace. And so what is peace, you might ask? Well, the Bible uses the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom means wholeness. It means wholeness, having no deficiency. It also means complete deliverance kind of a rad word when you think about it. But here's the thing. Only God is whole. Only God is without deficiency. And only God can fully deliver us. So true peace is only possible in the presence of God. A state of peace is a state of lacking nothing. Nothing is broken. Nothing is missing. It means completely healthy. It means fully formed. Having a fully formed relationship with God and having a fully formed relationship with others. And shalom, peace, is the promise of Advent. God enters into our world and he turns our chaos and our conflict into shalom. Christian, God wants to meet you right where you are today. In the middle of whatever you're going through. In fact, God is already there. He's already in your mess. He's already in your chaos. And he's working to bring about shalom. Whatever's going on in your marriage... I don't care how far broken you think you are. Whatever's going on in your relationships, 
God is at work to bring shalom peace. You're not too far gone. Whatever is happening at work, God is at work to bring shalom there. Whatever is happening with your finances or your living situation, listen, God is right there in the midst of it, and He is at work. That's why Advent is so good for us. Because we're reminded that God enters into chaos. God enters right into conflict. And He works to bring shalom peace. And God is in the midst of the chaos in your life. God is at work bringing shalom to your life. Wait on Him. That ancient cry from the very beginning of the Bible. Wait on the Lord. And God's not afraid of your low places. Some of us need to hear that today. God is not afraid of your low places. In the midst of your pain and your brokenness, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of the failures that you keep choosing to remind yourself of or that the enemy keeps putting in your head, in the midst of that, in the midst of the horrible conflict you might be experiencing, in the midst of bleakness and hopelessness, God is in the valley with you and He promises, He promises peace. And his promises are faithful and true. And remember, we do have a real enemy in this life. Every step we take toward God, every good decision we make, every attempt we make, every good thing is contested by the enemy at every, at every juncture. And so God's encouragement to his people throughout history has been, hold on. Hang in there. I am with you. Turn to the Lord for deliverance. It was the cry of the Psalms, right? A cry of deliverance. It was the song of every slave throughout history. It was the song of the African Americans as they journey through history seeking freedom and justice and equality in our own nations and continue to today this song and this cry of deliverance. It's been the cry of the Jews since the very beginning and still today as anti-Semitism still exists and is still growing in our world today. Listen to this Advent promise made by the angels in the book of Luke. Listen to this, this incredible promise. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. The angels are just worshiping in front of the shepherds, and they say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace among men. See, this is the declaration from angels in heaven that peace is, uh, is available on earth now. Peace has come to earth. Guys, peace is on earth and is available. And this shalom, this completeness, this lacking nothing, it has entered earth and it is at work and it's at work in the midst of your darkness. True peace came to earth in the person of Jesus. And this peace can be found by encountering the person of Jesus. So getting back into our passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This peace is for you. Listen to how Isaiah puts it here. It says, For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Notice that this salvation is for us. It is to us. But also notice that this salvation, this peace, is not by us. It's not from us. It's not like the good Christians are going to experience peace and the people that, that have hardship and chaos in their life aren't. That's not what it's saying. This peace is for us from God. It is a gift, a free gift. And Isaiah is saying, even in the context of this passage, listen, things are going to become even tougher than they are right now, Israel. But God has sent his deliverer in the midst of darkness of sin. 
In the midst of it, the Savior is for you. You might be going through darkness, but God has sent for you, to you, a Savior. Some of us need to hear that today. That true peace has been given to you. That true peace is for you. It's not just for other people. True peace is for your marriage. God is not distant. He hasn't forgotten you. God didn't just send Santa for three weeks of warmth and then abandon you for the rest of the year. That's not his plan for your Christmas. God's gift is wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and it is a gift that has been given to you. It is a gift that was made before the foundations of the earth for you, Christian. See, Jesus breaks cycles of brokenness and anxiety in our life. Regardless of the brokenness, regardless of anxiety, regardless of fear, regardless of the shame that you might fall into, regardless of the things, the chaos that swirls around in life, the Prince of Peace is given to you and he will subdue it all. Listen to this promise in Romans chapter 16, verse 20. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Because God breaks those cycles of brokenness, of shame. God breaks fear. He crushes anxiety. He, he destroys chaos. God is a God of order. He will tame the chaos. See, Jesus absorbs all of these things from us. Jesus just welcomes the chaos upon himself. And he offers us, he gives us shalom peace in return. That's how we find peace. We exchange our brokenness. We exchange our fear. We exchange our shame for Jesus' wholeness. That is the gospel. Jesus absorbs it all and he transfers us into his kingdom of light. Isaiah calls Jesus the prince of peace. The Prince of Peace. That is the nature of his reign. He is a peaceable, his is a peaceable kingdom. He's a peaceable ruler. If you submit your life to the reign of Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, regardless of what's going on around you, you will experience peace in your life. As the Prince of Peace, Jesus' work is to restore and put broken things back together. Remember, the definition of shalom is to repair And under Jesus' rule, the Bible tells us that the lion will lay next to the lamb. The Bible also tells us that weapons of war are going to be melted down and hammered into, repurposed into implements of cultivation and implements of culture. Things that were used once to destroy people are now going to cultivate relationship and cultivate culture. See, right relationships are restored. That's what shalom brings. In her book, The Very Good Gospel, Lisa Sharon Harper says this. She says, the peace, of self depend, excuse me, the peace of self is dependent upon the peace of the other. God created the world in a web of relationships that overflowed with forceful goodness. These relationships are far-reaching between humanity and God, between humanity and self, between genders, between humanity and the rest of creation, within families, between ethnic groups, between races, between nations. These relationships were very good in the beginning. And one word characterized them all, shalom. Shalom. That is what the Prince of Peace brings restoration of relationship. True peace is restorative. True peace brings restoration. Even if you feel like you're so broken or that you're so lost 
that you don't know what restoration even looks like. Even if your marriage is so far gone, even if you have never had a healthy relationship in your life, true peace brings about restoration. That's what it is. That's what shalom is. Even though you may not know what true restoration looks like, God restores us to right relationship. He restores us to right relationship with himself, and he restores us to right relationship with those around us. That's what he does. God knows how to restore relational health. God knows how to restore us to himself and others. And I I think there's something deep in us that causes us to know that we were made for more than just the chaos that we find ourselves in in life. We're made for more than the endless striving. We were made for more than insecurity. We were made for more than shame and fear. I think each of us knows inside we were made for more than hurtful, harmful, chaotic relationships. Any of you that have kids, it took me until I had kids to really see that. And the things that I long for, the things that I encourage and call out in my children are are things that I couldn't see in myself clearly. But I start thinking differently as a parent. I want so much more for my kids. We were created in God's image. And each one of us know that we were made for far more than anxiety and brokenness in life. Our world is deeply broken. Our world is deeply divided right now. And when we're honest, I think we all long for something more whole, more complete, and more good. But where do we find, that's like crazy talk in our culture, right? Where do we find hope? Where do we find the kind of peace that we're talking about? Where do we find that kind of restoration? Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, He says, he himself is our peace. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying, Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one, and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, walls fall when Jesus brings his peace. Jesus is in the business of tearing down walls that divide people. On the cross, Jesus tore down walls. Jesus tore veils. Anything that separates us from God, anything that separates us from one another, the sin and the brokenness and the shame, Jesus removes those things. Jesus has brought all people to God through the cross. Jesus brings all people together through the cross. Everyone is welcome into the kingdom. Everyone is welcome, and we all come into the kingdom together in Christ. And Jesus is giving us a better vision for a better version of life here on earth. That's what he does. He's giving us a picture of God's kingdom here on earth. We don't simply tolerate one another in life, right? Tolerance isn't what we should be talking about. Tolerance isn't what we should be encouraging one another. We're to radically love and serve one another, not just tolerate one another. That's what shalom peace brings into the world. True restoration of relationship. We are people who know and serve the Prince of Peace. There's no dividing walls in the Prince of Peace's kingdom. Martin Luther King pondered these things, thought about them a lot, and spoke about them a lot. There's one speech of his in particular that is just so insightful, and it was when he was in uh, Norway accepting the Nobel Peace Prize. He said this. He said, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become reality. 
He says, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. Now, for, for a black man in the early 1960s to say something like that, it, would have, it just would have been crazy in the culture. He was in the crosshairs of a cultural revolution. Where did he find that kind of hope? Where did he find that kind of peace? He found that kind of hope and that kind of peace in the Prince of Peace. See, Jesus' kingdom is marked by Jesus' character, and Jesus is peace. We can hope for a better world in Christ, only in Christ, but in Christ. This is the Christmas story, that God's peace has come to us, that real restoration has come to us. Jesus is the peace of God for all of humanity, and Jesus has invaded the world. And we believe for a better world because of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is with us. And at Advent, we remember that peace has come to earth. That's what we dwell upon. That's what we meditate upon. That the Prince of Peace has come. And in Advent, we learn once again that peace is possible in our world through Jesus. At Advent, we consider the reality that Jesus' presence brings about, right? That Jesus' presence, it brings about the restoration of broken and lost people to God. That we could be restored to God and have real hope. Advent also reminds us of the reality that Jesus' presence brings. That we're rest- restoration of broken and hopeless relationships is possible in Christ. That restoring and restoration of broken and divided races and people groups, bringing all nations, all tongues, all tribes together is possible in Jesus Christ. The Advent story tells us this. Remember again, this passage we read just a couple moments ago, this angelic worship that was witnessed by shepherds in the field that first Christmas night. They declared, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. That is a, a remarkable declaration. There's a 10-minute-old there's a infant laying in a grimy manger in a dark, cold, gross stable right now. And the angels are saying, peace has come. The Prince of Peace is here. This is what the arrival of the Prince of Peace brings about. On earth, peace among men. Peace is possible. True peace, true reconciliation, true restoration. Our passage in Isaiah puts it this way. It says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. There's no end to it. As the Prince of Peace, Jesus' princely rule will continually increase. It's unlimited. Jesus' rule of peace expands. His rule of peace will increase. You know, the world spends a lot of time debating over who should be in power, who, who should be president, who should be prime minister, who should be this, who should be that. Each one of us wants to be led with justice. We all long to be uh, led by wise, just, gracious leaders who can lead in peace. Well, look at what our passage would have us consider as we meditate this Advent season. Isaiah 6, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. It says, Unto us a child will be born, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. See, Jesus isn't just some religious figurehead. 
Jesus is wonderful counselor. He's able to deal with you in the midst of drama. He is mighty God. He is able to get stuff done. He's eternal father. Eternal father. He is prince of peace. He's the only one who can shoulder right government. And he does. He carries the weight of governing all of creation on his shoulders. Jesus is able to restore and reconcile all that has been divided and broken in the world. Jesus is the only one who's able to open the scrolls. The book of Revelation tells us that's the, the deed, the deeds of our life and all of creation. Jesus is the only one that can open it because he's the rightful heir to the throne. And he says at the end of his life, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, Jesus doesn't just simply teach peace. He just doesn't teach great lessons about peace. Jesus is peace. Jesus is peace. That means he's worthy. He's worthy of worship. He's the direct descendant of David. He satisfied the, the, all of the requirements of the law. He lived a perfect, sinless life and then laid that life down so that we might exchange our sinful life for his perfect life. And then he took his life back up, raised himself from the grave, and is seated in glory at the right hand of the Father right now. Only Jesus is worthy of praise. He's worthy of us raising our hands in praise. He's worthy of us submitting our lives to him in praise. Only Jesus is worthy of ruling and governing and judging people. Only Jesus is worthy of ruling. Only Jesus is able to shoulder government. And the promise of Isaiah 9-7 is that there's no end to Jesus' reign of peace. No power can overthrow it. This is an eternal gift. History tells us about so many empires that ruled for hundreds of years. Like, oh, they were here for hundreds of years or maybe a thousand years, right? Like Hitler would brag, oh, we're going to be the thousand year or whatever. Well, he didn't last, you know, more than like a decade and a half. But even if he had gone a thousand years, history tells us a thousand years is like a flash in the pan. It's like, what? So it's like, that's you, right? What is that? Great governments can promise to meet our needs, and some even deliver on some of those promises, but all governments fall. All governments, all human institutions are rolled up like an old carpet, discarded, and replaced. Only Jesus' kingdom endures. Therefore, Jesus' kingdom of peace is the only kingdom that matters. His is a kingdom of peace. And so here's our Advent meditation for today. Here's something to consider. When fear, when brokenness, when chaos grips us, and it does, our only source of hope is Jesus and his eternal kingdom of peace. Hold on, in other words. Cling to Jesus. He has come, and he is coming again. Advent should produce in us a longing for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. The reality of Advent is that Jesus, who is our peace, has come and is returning. And so we should long for God's kingdom here on earth. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of anxiety or brokenness, we say, Jesus, Prince of Peace, come. Come meet me right here. Rule this relationship, this broken relationship. Rule it with your peace. We say, Jesus, come rule and govern these circumstances that, that lead me to fear. God, rule your peace over my fear and anxiety. At Advent, we, we, we pray things like, Prince of Peace, come and rule my mind. 
Prince of Peace, come and and rule my heart, rule my thoughts, rule my mouth, my lips, the literal noise I make. Rule that, reign that. Advent doesn't just present us with a bunch of options. Advent leads us back again to the utter necessity of Jesus for any good thing and for all good things in life. If Jesus isn't ruling it, it's not good, in other words. It reminds us that if Jesus isn't ruling, then there will never be peace or shalom in life or in, wor- in the world or in that relationship or in that business endeavor or in whatever else you try to do apart from the Prince of Peace. These promises are crazy. They're so good. But my favorite part is the ending of our passage. Look at verse 7, Isaiah 9-7. He says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. How's this going to get done? It's going to get done because God is zealous. And God is zealous about seeing this accomplished. Sometimes we might think that God is sleeping as darkness and drama engulfs us. Or, Or sometimes we might forget about God's zeal. And we might assume that he's far off or that he's indifferent because we've taken our eyes off of him. And we don't know where he is. And we start thinking like the world thinks. And we start panicking. Or sometimes we might feel like God just doesn't care about our struggles. Maybe, maybe God doesn't care about my hardships. Just sometimes we forget. So Advent is a good season for us to remember God's zeal. Not just his promises, but his zeal. God is more passionate and zealous to bring shalom, peace to the world than we could ever imagine. And he's passionate about establishing his kingdom. And that brings us tremendous comfort to know that God sees what's going on in your life. God sees what's going on in your family. He sees what's going on in your marriage. He sees what's going on in the world around us. And he's doing something about it. He's bringing the only thing that could bring any positive change to any of it. He brings peace. He brings restoration. How how can we see God's peace increase in this world? Peace isn't a byproduct. It's a person. Jesus is true peace. Jesus is peace. You can know peace and have peace and walk in peace by knowing, enjoying, and walking with Jesus. At the end of his life, Jesus left his disciples with these words. He says to them, this is in John chapter 14, verse 27. He goes, peace I leave with you. But And my peace I give to you. But not as the world gives peace do I give to you. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be fearful. See, Jesus' peace isn't like the world's peace. Jesus' peace, according to this passage right here, it abolishes the troubled heart and it abolishes the fearful heart. Jesus' peace, God is zealous through Jesus' peace to abolish fear and troubledness in your heart. He's able to. God's not offering us a peace that's separate from himself. It's not a work it out on your own peace. It's not a behave really well and you'll have peace. You have to hear this and get this. If you're longing for peace, we need to put specific words to our truest needs. We need to make our prayer this morning things like this. My fearful heart longs for true peace. I need you, Jesus. I need your presence in my life, Prince of Peace. I want you to rule my life with your peace. See, this is Advent. We lay ourselves and our worries down and we take up the promises and the reality of God's peace and God's presence in our life. 
Church, Jesus is in the waiting. As you slow down and wait on the Lord in this Advent season, Jesus is in the waiting. Peace is in the waiting. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this passage. We thank you for this incredible peace, this true peace that you have offered to us. Today, God does, it seems like true peace is so elusive in our culture. And maybe some of us have taken our eyes off of you and we've come to believe that truth is, that peace is elusive in our own lives as well. This morning, God, I pray, Prince of Peace, that you would come and rule over the fearful heart today. That Prince of Peace, you would come and rule over the striving heart. That you would rule over the broken heart. That you would bring wholeness. That you would bring restoration. That Jesus you would be our peace. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe, maybe you're someone that the Lord is speaking to today. Maybe you're dealing with fear or anxiety. Or maybe you've got real discord in your life. There's, there's some kind of dissonance in your life that is keeping peace far away. There are people up front here going to be up here on the right or the left, that are ready to pray with you, they are ready to pray for you, that are ready to, to speak and declare peace over you in Christ Jesus today. Or you might have some relational brokenness in your life, and you're longing for peace and hope. You're longing for restoration. Come get prayer today. Ask the Prince of Peace to reveal himself in the midst of your broken, brokenness. The carpets are up here to put yourself in a posture of submission, to to worship. Jesus is the only one who is worthy. Come and have communion. The elements are up here on the front of the stage to remember the sacrifice that was made so that we could have restored relationship to God and we can hope and expect for restored relationships with one another. Let's respond and worship the Prince of Peace.